Thanks, Ed, for reading that for us. As, uh, as you know, and if you're visiting here, let me just remind you, um, we are um, presently in our gathering stage, which means that we are uh, working through a lot of different things, trying to make sure that what we're doing, we're doing well. And part of that is to lay a foundation for what we want to be as a church, what we believe God is calling us to be. And so we are, during this summer season, going through um, really some key marks of a healthy church. And we are using this little book as a helpful guide. What is a Healthy Church Member by Thabiti Anyabwile, I think is how you pronounce it. Something along those lines, right? And if you can do it, that'll be good. Um, but we do want you, if you're visiting, to please take this, and it's, it's free. We just want you to take it and use it as a, as a, as a help. And, and really today, um, as we study the, this topic of biblical theology, um, what Thabiti says in here is very, very practical. It really takes things from, from the application side of what can you do as a member to apply this to your life. So I just really want to encourage you, if you are reading it, great. If, you're, if you haven't yet, I would encourage you to do that because it will really complement um, what it is that I'm going to be doing um, as we walk through this topic together. Okay? So, um, this whole subject of biblical theology. But let's take a moment to, to look at this passage of Scripture one more time. Children, it is the last hour... And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. This world is full of Antichrists. They say, what do they look like? I mean, they have horns, they all wear red with tails. Is that what they look like? No. Um, an Antichrist really is someone um, that really is simply an opponent in opposition to the teachings of Christ. Okay? And that can come in specific form, and that's how it's used here in particular, as John is writing it, uh, much of the Gnostic ideas were what were taking place. And in particular, what's happening in this passage is that he says that some of them were part of you, but they've gone out from you, and that is evidence that they were never really um, a part of you. Okay? And he says, but you, notice what he says, but you are what? You have been, what's the word? Anointed. God, through His Holy Spirit, has brought you into fellowship with the Holy One. That is Christ. Would you agree with that? Has that not happened to you as God's children? So you have been marked out. There are antichrists, and then there are those who are Christ's. And there is a sense in which we are to be Christ on this earth, right? That is what we're called to be as a church. And then really as individuals, we are Christians. We're followers of Christ. And so we're told in this passage then, not only that you are anointed, but it says, and you have all, and you all have knowledge. And he says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And the emphasis here in this little book is to know, and is with that knowledge then to be able to do something and to defend the truth about who Christ is and about what he has come to do. So let's just think through a little bit here. I have just maybe a, a couple of questions. I'm dividing this, uh, you know, our time this morning into three sections. It's right there in your handout. The need for biblical theology. We're going to define biblical theology and then we're going to tease out some implications. Um, not maybe everything that is needed to be said, but we're going to talk through the importance of biblical theology. Let's think about the need then. How do we distinguish ourselves from the cults, from false teachers, and what I'm calling anemic Christians? Are we different? I mean, what about the Mormons? Are we different from them? What about those who would identify themselves as Catholics? Are there some marked differences that we believe Scripture teaches about that? The answer is yes. What about Jehovah's Witnesses? What about Baha'i, or Unitarians, or Muslims, or Hindus? And when I use the expression anemic Christians, I'm talking about, about churches that have all the garb of being a part of biblical Christianity, but really are empty of the truth. They have the truth, they might even know it, but they don't proclaim it. They're not confident in doing it, not deliberately doing it as God would call them to do. What marks us as being different? Now, some might say, isn't it what we have in common that marks who we are? 
And I would say, no, it's where we're different that marks who we are. I want you to think through that a little bit. How would those different groups, Mormons, Catholics, Jehovah's Witnesses, Baha'i, and, and so on, how would all of those different groups describe God? Would there be a difference? Yeah? How about, um, how would they describe who Jesus Christ is? Is there a difference? You know, he's a good man, good example, he's a prophet. All right, he's a what? All right, brother of Lucifer. Or, as we believe, he is the Son of God. He is God, right? Not just an angel. What about uh, how would they describe the plight of man, man's problem? Would it be different? Absolutely. What about the solution to man's fallen condition? Well, if you have a difference of opinion as to what man's problem is, then you have a difference of understanding as to what the solution is, right? How about... Um, how we are to live our lives in such a way to please God. Is that going to be different? Absolutely. So, you know, we can all just kind of brush all that aside and say, why don't we just all come together and be united because we all follow really the same God when it comes down to it, right? I mean, isn't that the message of the age? And actually, to not go along with that then is to be intolerant and is to be bigoted and is to be closed-minded and you throw all the names in there, right? But we are a church that exists because we believe some particular things about God, about who Jesus is, about what man's condition is, and about what the solution is, and about what the gospel is, right? And those being defined are important to be defined. Listen to what, um, well, listen to what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says. And basically, you know, I want to simply say this. It's not enough for us to say we simply believe the Bible, right? Listen to what, or read what he says. Most of the cults which are so prominent in the world today claim that they are based upon the Bible, right? Of course they say we believe everything the Bible says. Our teaching is based upon it. Indeed, you will find that some of these people appear to know their Bibles very well. So it is no use just saying to them that you do not believe as they do because you believe the Bible. They're saying, well, we believe the Bible too. All right. Mark, oh, he continues on. He says, we must know how doctrine is to be found in the Bible, if we hope to deliver these people in any way at all, if we are anxious to make them true Christians and to bring them to a real knowledge of God, we must be in a position to explain to them where they go wrong and where they are not biblical to help them to understand the source of their error. Now see, it's not just enough to say, well, don't we all just kind of like believe the same thing? No, we don't. In fact, we are completely different in our understanding of what things are. And we need to articulate that. Mark Dever, um, who is the one who really put together Nine Marks Ministries, says this, Today, people believe um, to be true simply what they desire to be true. It's not a matter of what really is true, it's what they desire to be true. They'll, they'll embrace what they want to be true. He goes on, long-held Christian beliefs about everything from the nature of God to morality have been reshaped and have been jettisoned in the name of making Christianity more relevant, more palatable, more acceptable to today's hearer. And I, I would agree wholeheartedly with what he's saying there. The church has softened its position, has softened its doctrine, has softened its emphasis on what it truly believes for these goals to be more relevant, to be more palatable, to be more acceptable. God never called us to be acceptable to the world. He called us to be acceptable to Him, right? He never called us to be palatable. Now, He did talk about us being a sweet aroma. And that's saying that we are being Christ-like in the, the community and the culture that He's placed us. 
But he hasn't call, called us to have a goal to soften what he reveals about himself and what he says is man's plight and is man's solution. Not at all. And more recently, the word relevant has been a key word in biblical Christianity, in particular in ministry philosophy. And it's been the dominant word that says, well, maybe we won't talk about this and maybe we won't talk about this because we really want to relate. And we oftentimes, I say we, talk about Ameri you know, biblical Christianity, I should, say, I should say what is Christianity in America, has put a premium on relevance to the neglect of doctrine, to the neglect of truth. So we have a lot of ministries that are relevant, and you can put that in quotes, whatever that means, but have forgotten that what is truly relevant is Christ and is the gospel. I mean, that has been true throughout the ages and will be true. So, we really need to be mindful about what Lloyd-Jones is saying, what Mark Dever is saying here, as we're thinking about the need for biblical theology. So, last week, we looked at expository preaching. And you know, we are, I'm passionate about that, but in order for expository preaching to be effective, there is a need for... There's a need for... Um, what we're preaching about to be true. Would you agree with that? I mean, so the, you know, I can get up and preach, but if I don't have the content, then what's the point? So they both go hand in hand. They're intertwined. They're going together um, as far as what God has called us to do. So um, what we're taught is far more important than maybe how we teach it, although how we teach it is based on what Scripture says. And that was our argument last week. So there is this apathy toward this whole idea of theology, as if theology was something held exclusively to pastors, or you might want to say spiritual eggheads. That the common believer, the common Christian, doesn't really need theology. So you ask a common, you know, you say a common, I don't mean that derogatively, but I'm just saying that's people's attitude, right? If you're a child of God, if you're part of the church, and you're saying to yourself, I really don't need theology, then my question to you is, what do you believe about Christ? What do you believe about God? Well, I believe he's loving. Okay, then you have a theology. Then you have a doctrine. What you believe is a doctrine. What you believe is a theology. Whether it's right or wrong, it is still a doctrine. It is still a theology. So everyone has it, and everyone practices theology of some sort, but the question is, is it biblical? Is it God's truth that is being mined and understood? You with me there? Okay. Now, um, listen again to what Lloyd-Jones says about that whole idea. Can you see that? Any? All right. How are these doctrines to be found in the Bible? How is one to discover them now that it is no idle question? As I think I can show you very easily, but it is never enough to say I am not interested in doctrines. I'm a Bible person. Let these clever people argue about doctrines if they like. You give me the Bible and I am satisfied. That is a very foolish, indeed a ridiculous statement to make. Because people who come to the Bible must believe something as a result of reading it. The question is, are they believing what they ought to believe? When people are picking up the word, number one, are they actually reading it, right? And that ought to be a question for us. Are we reading the Bible? Are we studying it? And then do we actually believe what it says? But see, most of the time, I think people have an idea of what they want God to be like. And they'll take bits of what God has revealed in his word and formulate God based on those bits. And it's usually the good bits, right? It's not the tough bits. Would you prefer to have a God of love or a God of wrath? I mean, just in your humanity, if I said you want a God of love or a God of wrath, what would you choose? Yeah, but you can't have a God of love without the God of what? You can't have the gospel without both of those two things being true. And if we just choose one side, and it's just love, or if we neglect love, and we just choose wrath, we have a distorted view of who God is, right? Both are necessary. 
And we have to understand that both are true. So what he says here is so critically important. It is a very foolish, indeed a ridiculous statement to make, because people who come to the Bible must believe something as a result of reading it. Well, you can believe what you want. I just believe the Bible. Then what does the Bible say about this God? What does it say about who Jesus is? What does it say about the church? What does it say about the gospel? What does it say? It says a lot of things. And do you believe what it says? Okay. All right. So let's think about this word theology. The word theology basically is two Greek words that means the study of God. Theos and logos. Um, all right. So when we're talking about theology, we're not talking about you know, some really elitist kind of a, you know, discipline or practice. Although, you know, when we talk about theologians, we're talking about people who really have, have given much of their time, if not their lives, to the study of who God is and minded out of Scripture. Okay. Um, the other word we need to see here is the word sound, because we're going to look at some passages that deal with that. Um, sound then has the idea of being reliable, being accurate, being faithful. Ultimately, it's a word that comes from the medical world, talking about being whole and being healthy as an individual. So these two words then, the Apostle Paul uses to describe um, doctrine, teaching, faith, a number of different things we're going to see here in just a minute. Um, but you put those two words together, sound theology means healthy theology. In other words, it is a healthy understanding, a healthy perspective as to who God is and to, as to what he expects and to what he does. Now, um, let's look at then a few of these passages of scripture. I think we have, you have it there in your notes, Right? Uh, look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10. It says this, The sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Right? Sound teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, blah, blah, blah. In other words, it's the sound teaching. It's the healthy teaching that is rooted in who Christ is. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and Love that are in Christ Jesus. Again, this, this whole idea of, of being sound and the words of truth that have been passed on and have been communicated. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate to themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We dealt with that last week. We didn't spend a lot of time with that word sound, but you understand the sound there is in opposition then to what these people are looking for, right? They're not looking for sound teaching. They're looking for teaching that is going to satisfy their own desires. But God is saying through Paul to Timothy, you know what? You're going to be emphasizing sound teaching, sound theology. Titus chapter 1 verse 9. He must hold firm, talking here about a um, um, an elder, I believe. He must hold firm to the trust, trustworthy word uh, as taught that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So that the man of God, the, 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 the person who has the responsibility of shepherding a flock, who is the pastor teacher, has the responsibility here to give and to teach and to instruct with sound doctrine. And not only that, it says what? And to also rebuke those who contradict it. All right? A couple more. This testimony is true, this is Titus 1.13. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. So, rebuke is a mechanism to bring someone back to having a healthy understanding of who God is. The last one is Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. 
It's interesting that this word is used just, you know, all these times in the pastoral epistles. Now, just based on that, that, that swoop of, what, maybe eight or ten verses there, what Paul is saying to these young preachers is that doctrine matters, right? But sound doctrine matters. Healthy doctrine matters. So the question is, is what you are studying and the conclusions that you're coming to, are those really a reflection of what the Word of God teaches? Is it healthy? Is it sound? God has called us, not just me, but he's called us to be people who are sound in the faith. And that comes as a result of having sound teaching, sound instruction, which then formulates, you might want to say, your theology. Your understanding of who God is. Your understanding of what God does. Your understanding of what God expects. Okay? So friends, just right from the start, there is a need for biblical theology. There is a need for us to, to be doing all we can to grow in our area of theology. It's not just the pastor's job. It is every member's job. And therefore, it is the church's responsibility to make sure that we are teaching theology. Now, by that, I don't mean, you know, today and next week, we're just going to be talking about Calvin or Luther the whole time. We're talking about unpacking what Scripture says about certain subjects and growing in our awareness of that. And that whatever comes from a pulpit or from a, from a, from a lectern, if it's a class, is rooted in Scripture and is reflecting the truth of God appropriately, clearly, and accurately for the health of the body. We've got to be sure that that is taking place. You know, and I just throw in there, that's why the Bereans gathered together and they said, hey, let's study to make sure that what we're being taught is what Scripture says, right? So there is a, you know, there's a partnership going on here. Well, so there's a need for this. Now let's think about the definition. Let's talk about what is biblical theology. And here's, a, uh, here's one that comes from the, the Nine Marks website. Um, very, very simple. I thought it was helpful for us. Biblical theology is sound doctrine. It is right thoughts about God. It is belief that accords with Scripture. Just kind of think of those three things there. It's, it's sound doctrine. It's coming to, to right understanding what Scripture says about particular topics. It is right thoughts about God. Have you ever realized that you had a, a faulty thought about God? And you're just like, Ooh. when you realize, it's like, oh man, I, I've had it wrong all this time. Or when you come to an awareness of a, of a new thought about God, not because it's some obscure thing that someone brought up, but it's just like, there it is laid out for you. You're in awe. Your thoughts about God are, are healthy because you're seeing him revealed in the pages of his word. So let's take a, a couple of these, uh, um, a couple of, I think, sections here as to what sound theology um, looks like. I want to use two, two expressions here. First of all, it, biblical theology is talked about just in the arena of sound doctrine. In other words, I think I have this here. No, we'll go back to it. The idea of sound doctrine, um, meaning that it's the practice of going through the Word of God and truly gleaning accurate understandings of what God says about himself, about things that are taught in Scripture. Okay? This is used in that sense. So a healthy church and a healthy individual is simply going to go to the Word of God and it's going to say, what does the Word of God say about a particular topic and allowing the Word of God to formulate that understanding of what that is. That's biblical theology. That's one way to use it. Another way that it's used in a more technical sense, and this is where... Um, I think it's helpful for us to see, um, is this idea of it's, it's a way of interpreting the Bible. Let me explain this. The term biblical theology in this sense um, is really talking about this, this hermeneutical discipline, this way of coming to the Word of God, this way of approaching the Word of God and seeing the storyline of God unfolding through the pages of His Word. And what it's doing is it's beginning in Genesis and it's tracing how God is slowly revealing himself and his character in his word. 
Okay, it's that whole idea. So in a technical sense, that's what's going on. So let's just step back a little bit here. Um, and let's think about what I'm saying here. This way of interpreting the Bible through these, these storylines, so to speak, these themes that are developed, these, I want to say the comparison between the Old and the New Testament, how all of Scripture in, in some way, shape, or form is all tied together in Christ. This is all biblical theology flowing through the pages, right? So we'll step back a little bit and recognize it's talking about two things, all right? It's talking about who, who is God, what is He like, how has he described or revealed himself to us? All right, that's the first part. That would be similar to saying simply sound doctrine. I'm going to the Word. How does the Word just reveal to me who God is? All right, and this is what we typically uh, understand as the study of his attributes. Okay? His attributes. Now, just, let's just name some of his attributes. Just, just pop them up. Just, huh? He's omnipotent. Someone else? Sovereign. Sovereign. Omnipresent. What else? Holy, patient, faithful, what? Omniscient, righteous, just, invisible, okay? Good, that's good for, for right now. All right? Those are just a, you know, a small portion of his attributes. Now, we divide his understanding his attributes by using two words. Now, there are different ways you can do it. I like this way because to me this is helpful. There's the communicable and incommunicable. If you can say incommunicable without twisting your tongue, that's a, that's a good thing, all right? But the whole idea of communicable means that these are attributes that he shares with us, okay? There, there are things like um, his patience, um, his faithfulness. Um, the fact that he is, um, um, the fact that he is holy, the fact that he is um, his his wisdom, his his love, his mercy. These are all things that are interacting with us. The incommunicable attributes are attributes that he cannot share with us because they are simply based on who he is. All right, we cannot be omnipotent, which means all-powerful. That's just God. We don't get any bits and pieces of that. That's just because of who he is. He is all-knowing. Anyone here all-knowing? I know at times you probably have expressed that you know everything, right? But there's only one person who is all-knowing, that's God. That doesn't transfer to us. It's who he is, all right? Um, he is everywhere. Um, we're not everywhere. All right? and there's, there's a few more of those things. Those are incommunicable. So the attributes that, that we want to spend our time on are both, not one or the other. Because we participate, in a sense, with the, the communicable, but God is also the incommunicable. That's who he is in his, in his splendor. All right? So, the first part of biblical theology, then, is to really take a hard look at that question. Who is God? What is He like? How has He described or revealed Himself to us? Now, have you ever heard anyone say this? Well, my God is... I like to think of God as... It doesn't matter what you like to think of God as. It doesn't matter what your God looks like. The question is, who is God? And what does he say about himself? Right? Now, I know in our vernacular we use loose terms like that, but listen, God is everything he claims to be, right? We just need to find out what it is. And we need to really understand his glory and his beauty and his majesty and not just kind of say, well, my God. And I had a conversation with someone just talking about, you know, the, a controversial subject. I mean, not for me, but for some. And that is this whole idea of, of election and predestination. And the person said to me, well, my God would never do that. And I said, well, guess what? Your God did. Because he said he did. Right? And it's not because, oh, see, I want the argument. It's just like... Our understanding has to come from where? God's revelation to us. Well, listen, God, God, you know, this, this, this thing here called his word didn't just happen, right? God breathed out his word. 
and he breathed out his word so that we could have a greater special understanding of who he is, what he has done, what he expects of us, and so on, right? He's given us this then to understand him. And therefore, if he says something about himself, we have to embrace it as true. Your God is really a figment of bits and pieces that you have taken from all different places, a little bit from the Bible, a little bit from all, you know, maybe um, New Age thinking or Hinduism, whatever it might be. It's just all, you may not know that you're doing it. You're bringing it together and you're formulating a God of your own creation, not the God that has been revealed in his word. And biblical theology says, I'm seeking to understand God as he has revealed in his word. You with me there? All right. That's the, that's the first part then. So who is God? What is he like? How is he described or revealed himself to us? Secondly, how is God revealed through the pages of Scripture? How do we see uh, some things about God unfolded? Um, I like what, what Mark Dever has said here about this. I guess it's not, um, it's not up there on the screen. Um, he says this, It is one thing... He talks about God and this approach to God in this way. It is one thing to look at a resume. It is another thing to actually work with that person. Anyone here work in HR? Okay, all right. So you're looking at a resume and you see all these things there and you're like, okay, this person looks good. But you really don't know that much until you work with them. That's why you go to the references and you say, what kind of a worker are they? And it looks good, but can you tell me of some quirks or some things that aren't true? And All right. You want to get there. Well, as you, open, as you open the Word of God, and as you begin studying through the Word of God, guess what you find out? You find out that God says this is what He says about Himself, but then you actually see Him interacting. You see His behavior. You see His, his, his love and the way that He carries on with his, his creation. So we have His resume, His attributes, but then we also see how he interacts and how he fleshes those attributes out as he interacts with his creation. Okay? But we see those themes all throughout. So, just, let's just name a couple here. His, he is a creating God. Would you agree with that? All right. He did create. Um, he is still creating. He created the world, the air, animals, plants, mankind. Um, he created and chose a nation. Did you know that? Israel didn't come about because it just happened to show up one day. God chose Abraham. All right? He chose Jacob. He changed his name. He did that. All right? He also chooses us. He also has chosen his church. So the things that God has created, that's who he is. How about the fact that he's a holy God? Now, God created the world, but that creation also turned against him, rebelled against him. And in, in that creation, God established a way that mankind then could now come and interact with him because we have a holy God and you have unholy people, right? And the unholy God condescended to us and said, here's a way that you can do that. In the Old Testament, it was through sacrifices. Those sacrifices didn't pay for their sin, but they appeased God's wrath. And through those sacrifices, that appeasement was made, a restoration took place, and there was the ability to have a relationship with God. In the New Testament, we have one sacrifice, and that is the sacrifice of the Messiah, who is the sacrifice once for all, who appeased God, but also paid for the sin of mankind, past, present, and future. That was absolutely necessary because God, in his love, his concern for us, made a way that unholy man and holy God could have a relationship together. His holiness is throughout Scripture, and you see it unfolded through the pages of Scripture. It is the thread that goes through, one of the many threads that we have about God. And, and we'll, I'll just list a, a few more here. His, he's a faithful God. Would you agree with that? Yes. You just start reading through Scripture, and you see, He said this, He did it. He said this, He did it. Sometimes it's stuff he'd, He's doing, you might say, is a blessing. 
And sometimes what he promises is a judgment. But he's faithful to do all that he said he was going to do. Right? He is also a loving God. He's a sovereign God. Right? And these are just a few themes. Just, 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 just kind of, you know, wetting the whistle, so to speak. As we go through the Word of God, we're trying to see more about who he is, more about what he says about who he is, and how he interacts with us. That's all theology. That's all biblical theology. Now, friends, if we're going to be a church, we have to have this. We can't say, you know what, theology and doctrine, that just divides a church. We've got to unite together. We've got to unite around Christ. And we've got to unite and be a loving community. Now, just think about that. Okay, then what is Christ and what is love? And how do you understand who Christ is that you want to rally around? And how do you understand the love that provides the unity? I mean, if that's all you're going for, you're creating a religion out of your own making using the Bible. You're not allowing the Bible to establish your understanding of who God is and what unity really is. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. All right? So, biblical theology is simply studying God's Word to find out more about who God is, what He has done, what He expects of us, and it's also studying the flow of, you might even say, and I know this is a tough word for us, but the evolution of who God is through the pages of God's Word. What I mean by that is, is as we go through from the Old Testament to the New, we find more and more revealed to us about who God is. That's the idea there, okay? It's a beautiful thing. And we ought to be about that, right? Okay. Now, would you agree that the word theology and the word doctrine, in our, even in our Christian circles, is somewhat of a dirty word? Now, you may be in some circles where it's not, because you're not, but my feeling it is. I'll, let me give you an example. When I, when I first came out here to California, the um, church I was pastoring was an American Baptist church, probably the most conservative American Baptist church out here, okay? And they had these, um, oh, what do they call them? Um, groups of people, like a small group, but they forgot what, what they called them, but clusters, thank you, my wife would know. They were clusters, right? Clusters then of pastors that would get together. And I would meet once a month with a group of pastors. It was over in San Mateo. We'd come together and we would talk about whatever. And usually what we were talking about was not biblical things. It was all strategies for reaching people. It was all methodologies. It was all church growth type stuff, right? And so we were talking about what should we do next. And I said, you know what? How about we uh, get a book on theology and we talk about that? Crickets. We don't want to talk about theology. I mean, we're just a bunch of pastors here trying to, you know, trying to grow our churches. We need to talk about, you know, what's cool and effective and, and how we're going to be relevant and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it was kind of like the beginning of the end for me. It's like, you know, I'd st I've stayed in here long enough. They just didn't want to talk about that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, why? This is what you're about. Okay, another example. Same organization. Went to a pastor's conference. Elliot was with me. Two, three days. They didn't even open the Bible. I'm serious. How in the world can you do ministry if you don't take the Word of God seriously and you're not trying to you know, determine whether or not or who God is and what He has called us to do? All that was being talked about was you know, modern-day mechanisms to reach people and all this kind of stuff. And You, know, there may, you may say that there are some, some practical, natural, helpful things in that, but I'll tell you what, the power wasn't in anything that they said there. What I as a pastor needed at that point in time was pastoral encouragement for what I was doing as a leader of a church. I didn't need some mechanism that some hotel used because they were able to welcome people well. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm soapbox, I'll get off of it, right? But you, you, get, you get the point. We need theology. Now, by theology, we don't mean eggheads. We don't mean that everyone now has to be a seminarian, although I do want people to grow in their understanding of God, right? I'm not expecting everyone to come to church on a Sunday morning, you know, 
pulling out their clipboards and opening up their computers and typing everything in as if we were in class and that kind of stuff. Although I would expect that what I'm doing as a pastor is giving the goods so that you have some meat that you can go away and you can chew on it. We need to be growing in our understanding of doctrine. We need to be growing in our understanding of theology. So here are some, some uh, implications, just a few of them. We've got, uh, I think, plenty of time here to kind of tease these out. All right. First of all, I think theology matters to God. Would you agree with that? Okay. It is the basis of our unity. When people say, listen, we, we need to unite together, love is not the basis of our unity. Simply being united is not the basis of our unity. Let's just come together and unite. Well, unite based on what? It is what we believe that we unite around. If you say, well, I believe Jesus Christ is God, and someone else says, I don't believe Jesus Christ is God, how can those two people be united? Unless we bring some emotional, warm, fuzzy love thing in there and somehow say, hey, we're united because we love one another. Well, I'm going to love you if you don't believe the same thing that I believe Scripture says, but that's not unity. That's a facade of unity. True unity is rooted in what Scripture says about who God is and what He has called us to do. That's kind of hard, Pastor Rod. Well, Scripture is very, very clear on that. So some may say doctrine divides. Would you agree with that? <laughs> of course it divides. It's supposed to divide. Anytime you're being particular and you're saying this is what it says, that means you're saying it doesn't say other things. Doctrine is supposed to divide. So, it divides because it defines key biblical truths. Who God is, what he's like, what he expects. So, some catch the contemporary spirit by saying, don't we just all believe essentially the same thing? Hey, you know, I'm going back to what we said earlier. You know, hey, you know, the, the Muslims believe, you know, in Jesus. Mormons believe in Jesus. When you water things down to the lowest common denominator, you might say there are some similarities. But it's not unity, friends. It's not unity at all. But we're living in a culture that, that wants to push away anything doctrinal, anything theological, because the idea here is to work together. And I'm not saying that we should be arrogant, obnoxious people, but we should be firm about what we, what we believe Scripture says about who God is and what He's called us to and how we should live and how we should interact with others. Now, um, listen to, uh, again, what Al Mohler says. Oh, I think... Uh, I guess I didn't have that in there. All right, listen to what he says. There's an article I put on my blog, and I would encourage you to read it. Um, I just took an Al Mohler article on the whole subject of biblical theology, and he's saying far better um, what I'm trying to say this morning, but it will be a compliment to what, what, what we're thinking. But I love what he had to say here. Those who show disdain and disinterest in biblical doctrine will reap a harvest of rootless and fruitless Christians. Doctrine is not a challenge to experiential religion. It testifies to the content of that experience. You've heard of Jonathan Edwards and his affections. The reason Jonathan Edwards would have such passionate affections for God isn't because he had passionate affections for God. It's because he came to God's truth. He mined God's truth. He saw what God revealed about himself and it conjured up in him, because of that truth, affections for who God is. You know, we sang the song, A mighty fortress is our God. When you think about how strong God is, no matter what we go through, He is, He is solid. He doesn't move, right? As you've heard me probably say many times, you know, the world may be in chaos. Your life may be in chaos, but God is seated on His throne. He is not shaken at all. Now, where do I get that from? that just conjure up in my mind? No, I get that from Isaiah chapter 6. The world is falling apart. Uzziah, 
good king has done something horrible. He went in and offered incense, and he shouldn't. And their king, that they absolutely loved, is no longer in that position. And that world is falling apart. And yet God is seated high on his throne, high and lifted up, and Isaiah, godly Isaiah, is in his presence. And he says, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Listen, our understanding of who God is cannot just be a formation of what we're thinking in our head. It must be rooted in Scripture. All right? So there's some questions that we have to ask. Here's some, just some questions. Just think about this. Are people basically bad or good? Do they merely need encouragement and enhanced self-esteem, or do they need forgiveness and new life? What did Jesus Christ do by dying on the cross? Did he make possible an option or was he our substitute? What happens when someone becomes a Christian? If we are Christians, can we be sure that God will continue to care for us? If so, is his continual care based on our faithfulness or his? Now those are four questions that are pretty weighty. Now, is God's faithfulness to us, is that really based on us, or is that based on him? <laughs> and you know, you know what it's like when you say, oh God, I have failed you. I, have, I haven't done this, and I haven't done that, and I haven't been reading my Bible, I haven't been spending time in prayer, and I haven't been going to church, and God, how will you accept me now? Right? Because we're basing his faithfulness on what? On our failure to perform. God's faithfulness is not based on our failure or our success. He's faithful no matter what. But how easily we get caught up in that, right? And so these questions are important because they affect how we do ministry. They, they, they affect how we interact and we encourage the body of Christ in their growth toward Christ's likeness. Right? So the first thing is theology matters to God. Secondly, theology matters based on essentials. And I'm saying, well, what does that mean? Let me explain it this way. Okay, let me check and see if I have this up there. I do. Good. Mark Dever's um, little statement here I think is helpful. If we were to lay out everything that con constitutes sound teaching, we would reproduce the whole Bible. All right? So here's what he's saying. All right? It's, it's there. But in practice, every church decides the matters in which there needs to be complete agreement, there can be limited disagreement, or can be complete liberty. So, we have to understand there are some things that are totally important to us as a church, and we must unite around those things, all right? Let me give you a couple. Jesus Christ is God. Would you, would you say that's an essential? Would you say the virgin birth is an essential? Okay. Good so far. You're passing the quiz, all right? Would you say the Trinity is an essential? Yes. <laughs> okay. Say, well, I'm not sure if Pastor Rod's going to respond the same way here or not. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Would you say that the fact that Christmas is on December 25th is an essential? Heretics. <laughs> All right. What about, um, what about the fact that there were three wise men? <laughs> now you're saying, were there really three wise men? It's not Christmas season. Haven't been studying this for a while. Where do we get that from? We don't know how many wise men there were. It just says there are three gifts, right? Now, there are some things that are essential that we will fight for, that we will hold dear. There are some things that we're going to have some limited disagreement on. And probably in here we have some of that. All right? You may believe that Jesus is coming again and that he's coming in a rapture. Okay? You may believe that there is not going to be any rapture. The view of last days is essential, but it is not the same thing as saying Jesus Christ is God. You understand that? I, I believe strongly what I believe. He's saying, well, what do you believe, Pastor? I keep guessing on that one. You know, it's just... No, I'm a pre-trib, pre-mill guy, okay? Um, if you don't know what that is, good. Um, <laughs> I believe Jesus Christ is coming before the tribulation. 
and before the millennium. I believe there's going to be a rapture and all that kind of stuff. Okay? But the, the point is, I know of people that I love dearly, that are friends of mine, pastor other churches that do not agree with that view of eschatology. But we are brothers in Christ. It will not affect our salvation whatsoever. Is it important? Yes. Am I going to die over it? No. I just know that when the rapture comes, I'll be grabbing my friend, saying, come with me. And that's just, all right, I feel strong about it, right? There are other issues that we come up with that, that we, we, as we study God's word, we say, you know, there's some, we're not exactly sure. And there's some wiggle room here. And we must recognize that's the case, all right? Now, um, let, me, let me give you, this is the old statement, in essentials unity. This comes from the early church. In essentials unity. In other words, those things that we have determined to be essentials, that is what we are going to be united on. And we, we have put together a doctrinal statement, um, and we are going to be embracing that doctrinal statement. We will let you know what it is in a little bit. It's nothing unusual. Um, but that is a doctrinal statement that's going to define who we are as a church, right? And we will unite around what that doctrinal statement reveals about what Scripture says, about all sorts of different things. Some of those things are going to be, you know, top-line essential. Some of those things might want to say would be those, you know, there can be some, a little bit of disagreement, and that's okay. All right? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, diversity. In all things, charity. All right? Can you think of anything else that maybe a, a true... God-honoring, Christ-honoring church, there might be some difference of opinion on or different views on that we can say, hey, you know, there's some, there's some freedom there. Huh? All right, the sign gifts, okay. How you do baptism, okay. How what? How you do communion, sure. Yes, sir? Ministries, sure, absolutely. But things that you know, things that might be you know weighty subjects. I mean, the sign gifts is a big one. Um, church polity, right? Whether you believe you know whether it's elders, whether it's deacons, whether it's a combination of both, whether it's none, uh, whatever it might be. Um, now, believe strongly what you believe, but understand that there may be other people that don't embrace that. But don't allow those things to be divisive to the point that they. They cause division within the church because they're non-essentials. Okay, but a church does have to decide how they're going to function, and there needs to, once that church decides how they're going to function, there needs to be unity along with that. Okay, are you with me there? Okay. Now, I mean, there's a lot more to say about this. Again, we're just as we go through these topics, we're just scratching the surface here. There's, there's a lot of things to yet to talk about. Right, and here's the last thing then: theology matters for a church to be healthy. Theology is essential for a church to be healthy. I would just encourage you, as you read this, as you read this chapter, um, I want to just, just remind you um, five things that Wayne Grudem says in this chapter, and this is from his Systematic Theology, as to why biblical theology is important. He says, first of all, biblical theology helps us grow in our reverence for God. I mean, if I'm gleaning more understanding about who God is, his attributes, what's that going to do? It's going to make me step back in awe of who God is, right? And be in wonder. And we sing songs, and and, and one of the beautiful things about the more contemporary songs is is they tend to focus on the attributes of God. And you tend to linger on those attributes. Now, one more from the the 80s and 90s would be the song Majesty, right? Majesty, worship is majesty, right? There's, There's something about the more contemporary songs that tend to linger on a theme and you, you just, you're dwelling on that theme, right? Um, he, today we sang Famous God. Um, you know, when we get to hymns, though, they have a tendency to be robust in their theology, but kind of blow through all sorts of different themes. All right? I mean, it's true. Just think about it. And sometimes you, you know, I just, I just sang this hymn. What did I sing? All right? I mean, you've got to go back and, and read it and really try and, when you're singing it, embrace the words and, 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 and know what you're singing. Okay? Second thing is this. It helps us to overcome wrong ideas. So biblical theology, coming to the word of God, having a hunger for theology and for doctrine, 
helps me to overcome um, those wrong ideas I may have about God, I may have about a whole bunch of different areas. We need it. Okay. Next one, it helps inoculate the church against doctrinal controversies. All right, we we want to be protected. If we, aren't, if we don't have theological mindsets, then we're going to embrace anything as it blows in and out of the church. All right? Now, you know, I mean, when, when Harold Camping comes up with another prediction now, how, how are we going to respond? I mean, as, as a people, how do we respond? You say, well, okay, I'll mark that one on my calendar. Or do you step back and you say, well, wait a second here. Um, there's something wrong with this picture. But how do you know there's something wrong with this picture? Not because it's quirky, but because God's word says some very clear things. No one knows the day or the hour. Oh, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know the year. Oh. <laughs> All right, you understand? All right. So you've got to say, okay, what does scripture say? And you've got to allow that to, to speak. And so it, having a biblical theology, growing in theology, and having a theological mind, uh, attitude uh, as far as our walk with God really does protect us from all the, the ideas that blow in and out of Christian culture. And friends, they're doing it all the time. And just a side note, they have a tendency to start in youth groups. My experience as a pastor, and even as a youth pastor, is, you know, when, when that youth pastor goes off to that youth minister's conference, that's usually when these strange ideas creep in, because, sad to say, a lot of youth people are young in the Lord, somewhat immature, they're trying to grow their ministries, they're trying to keep it exciting, this is the latest thing that's coming through, everyone says it's popular, you need to do it, and by the way, we have the whole packet here, so you can take it with you, you know, that kind of a thing, and boom! And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, what just hit us here? Okay, and that's not, I'm not trying to be derogatory to youth pastors. I was one of them. I just saw it. So it's, it's there. It's always blowing in and out of Christian culture. And how do we respond to it? If we have a theological mindset, we're going to say, uh-uh, that's not true. Uh-uh, can't do that. Uh-uh, this doesn't honor God. Why? Because Scripture says so. Oh, you're just arrogant and pig-headed and, you know, and uh, legalistic. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, first of all, let's define what legalism is. That's a whole other subject, right? But Scripture clearly says this is what God is and how he wants us to do it. What you're saying doesn't fit with that. It inoculates. It is necessary to fulfill the Great Commission. We need a good theology to share the gospel. So I just don't know how to share the gospel. My friends hear this from a loving pastor. If you've been a believer for a while and you don't know how to share the gospel, you need to. We should all have a greater understanding of the gospel. If you're young in the Lord, you're still learning it. Okay. But it doesn't take much to learn the core realities of the gospel. And that's one side. The other side is we're always learning about the gospel, right? We're always growing in that area. It's necessary for the Great Commission. And that also means how we do evangelism, and we'll get to that in a couple weeks, but also what the gospel is. And if we don't have theology, then we're going to lean on methodologies. Well, I used the right illustration, and I still didn't embrace it. Well, it's not about your illustration. <laughs> okay. The last one here, it deepens our understanding and facility with the gospel. So I've been redundant there, but you understand what I'm saying, all right? It really does deepen our understanding with the gospel. We want to be about here. We are a, we want to be a, a group of believers gathered together who are purposefully um, doing all we can to grow in our understanding of who God is, what he has done, and what he expects of us. And we've said it's knowing it's applying and proclaiming the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we want to know what God's word says, right? We want to know as we go to the word of God, though, also what the gospel is and how it's, how it's you know, being further exposed and explained to us. Then we want to apply it to our own lives personally. 
But then we need to be able to turn around and to share that with those who don't know the Lord. All those things are important. And friends, listen, we can't do that without doctrine. We can't do that without theology. We can't do that unless we embrace a biblical theology. Okay? Now, we just have a couple of minutes here, and um, let's just talk a little bit about this. Um, how can we, how can we, and this is, this is interactive time, so just feel free to, to pipe in that kind of stuff. Maybe you as an individual speak. And what things can we do to help you grow in your theology, to help you grow in understanding doctrine? Yes, obviously I can get up as pastor and I can preach God's truth. But beyond that, what is it that we can do? I have some ideas, but I want to hear from you. All right, Bible studies. Now, the definition of a Bible study is that you're studying what? The Bible. The Bible. Now, I don't, you'd think I wouldn't have to say it, right? But sometimes you have to, all right? But that's, we're studying the Bible. Now, it doesn't, I'm not saying you can't use a resource to help you study the Bible, but that the, that the basis of your understanding, whatever that topic is, is actually coming from Scripture, and it's coming from it in an expository fashion, right? What else? Yes? Uh, those who are mature in the Lord, working and serving alongside those who are newer in the faith so that they can actually observe, um, not just in a Bible study format, but when, when things go wrong and when things go right. Okay. Um, okay. Just, you know, the, the humanness of everybody and, and grace. And okay. So... Okay, so uh, the word modeling, modeling the practice of theology in your life, when something, something difficult comes, how are you responding to that? How are you looking to God and understanding that? And, and maybe even interacting with people along the line there? That's very, very helpful. Good. What else? Huh? Discipleship. Discipleship, sure. Discipling. And not necessarily just a six-week study, but a... You know, a, a more a growing relationship, more of a mentoring kind of a kind of a thing. All right, good. What else? I, I like the idea of maybe like for this morning, like taking that passage from First John and digging deeper into it and where it is in relationship to First John. Okay. So. Now, it, the purpose of, of talking about theology and saying it's important is not just so that we all sitting around, you know, priding ourselves that we're talking theology. And we can get there, right? Well, we're a theological church. You know, we, we know who Calvin is and who Luther is. In fact, we've all read the Institutes. In fact, uh, in order to become a member of the church, you have to read the Institutes, right? Right? No, I mean, that's the, the, goal, the goal isn't to be, you might want to say, the proverbial theologian. The goal is to, is to be growing in your theology. Okay? Um, and you may. You may have an awareness of that. I, I would say, here's one thing. When I just talked with the people as we were praying this morning, I just really think it's important for us to put before you good, sound resources that are going to help you in your theology. Um, you know, I'm going through a certain crisis, or I'm going through a certain problem. Um, I, could, I could pull a book on that particular topic and give it to you that might come from the Christian culture, but really comes at the problem from a psychological perspective. And I'm not going to be helping you. But if I can find, and if I have a resource that's going to help you to say, here's what Scripture says, here's how I can walk you through what Scripture says on this particular topic, then I'm helping you form your theology. Now, see, in, in, in biblical counseling, one of the things that we do is we're always saying, all right, what does God say about this? And what does he expect us to be doing or to think, be thinking on this particular subject and as we're going through this particular subject? And how does God promise that he is going to come alongside and be there while we're going through that particular struggle and subject. So we're bringing God into it, not in a psychological way, but in the sense of, this is what Scripture says. This is what God says that we need to do. And we're going to do it, not in our own strength, but with His strength and so on. Okay? So providing resources on a variety of different things I think will be helpful. Think of anything else? 
All right, biblical theology. Um, if our church is going to be what it needs to be for the glory of God, we have to take this seriously. We should not be afraid of doctrine or theology. We should actually embrace it and love it and pursue it in a way that glorifies God. Okay? Have a word of prayer, and Ilya can close us out with a song, all right? Lord, we thank you again for your goodness. You are a great God. We are in awe of, Lord, your, your perfections, your, your, your majesty, your, your attributes. And um, Lord, I just want to just pause and just think, Lord, about your sovereignty. As we've talked a little bit this morning, Lord, we, we are reminded of so many things that you have done over the past year or so to bring us to the place that we are gathered together in this building. Lord, it really is of your doing. And Lord, we want to attribute that to you. Um, you are a great God. You are a God who is wise. You are a God who keeps your promises. And Lord, we, we see that in your word. We see that as your word reveals your character. But Lord, we also see that in the way that you interact with us. Lord, you are not aloof. You are very present with us. And we thank you for that, Lord. Help us as we grow in our doctrine, grow in our theology, Lord, that it will not stay and stop at our heads, but it will, Lord, ultimately flesh out an, an application that will be living for your glory. And Lord, ways in which we can declare um, your, your awesome good news to those who don't know you, Lord. Help us to be faithful to that. Help us to grow in that, Lord. Help us to be a church that embraces and loves biblical theology. We ask this in your name. Amen.